Lock the gate! Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? Welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming. I'm smoking a cigar. Right now, I, I've, someone gave me a really good cigar from Cuba, Cuba, so I'm smoking it. Do I have reason to celebrate? Perhaps. Is it the reason you think? Maybe, maybe not. Am I going to tell you about it? Yeah. Mm. I like cigars. It's not an effective thing either. I actually have a, a taste for them, and I, I know which ones I like. I'm not a phony. I don't smoke them a lot because you know why? They'll give you mouth cancer. But uh, what can I tell you? Right off the bat, Tommy Stinson, the bass player and original member from The Replacements, The Mats, anybody, anybody, indie rock, one of the best rock and roll bands that ever lived, Replacements, out of Minnesota, my friends. Yes, I think you know. Tommy Stinson is here. I'm going to talk to him in a few minutes. What else have I got to tell you? All right, I'll tell you. Look, you know what's going on with me. You know what's happening. A lot of you are up to speed. Yeah, there's some bad stuff and mostly good stuff. Things are looking up. The patent troll thing is not a good thing, but uh, I'm, I'm fighting that fight. I'm going to fight that good fight. I'm hoping other podcasters will fight the fight. We've made some stuff available to them to talk about. It's a real fight and it's a righteous fight, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not why I'm smoking a cigar. Am I smoking a cigar because I'm going to be at Stand Up Live tonight in Phoenix, Arizona? No, not really. I mean, I'm excited about that, but I'm not, I'm not smoking a cigar because of that. Well, actually, I'm just smoking the cigar because I want to smoke it. I, hold on. Mm. Yeah. Am I smoking it because I'm going to be at uh, Sixth and I uh, Synagogue in Washington, D.C. doing a politics and prose book event on uh, June 11th? No, no, that's not it. I'll tell you what happened. I'll explain it to you again. It might not be what you think it is, but look, it was Jessica's birthday on Monday. Okay, so I wanted to do something nice for her birthday. We made reservations at the at the craft restaurant, Colicchio's restaurant. And uh, I'd never been there before. She'd never been there before. But but here's what I'll tell you. Here's what else I did. I, I woke up. I had a problem because I had to get her out of bed. And she wanted to be in bed and she wanted breakfast in bed. And that's nice. Breakfast in bed is a nice thing. But I, I had a, something I had to do. So I wanted to make her pancakes. And I had this plan and it wasn't working out. I had a plan for a, a very specific thing. And I didn't know, you know, what to what what to do. Well, okay, so I had the stuff to make her pancakes, so I made her some pancakes, and then uh, I had to get her out of bed to serve her the pancakes for a reason, for a reason. So I I got her out of bed, and then I went into the bedroom after she got out of bed uh, for a reason, and she asked me, why'd you go in the bedroom? I said, because I need to get something for my cock. That's what I said. So that this this pre- that's the preface of a very uh, exciting event. I stuck in the moment... I uh, said I had to get something for my cock from the be- from the bedroom. Then I went into the kitchen where I made her a short stack of pancakes, three of them. And in the middle of the top pancake, I stuck a diamond engagement ring right in the middle of that top pancake. A beauty, a beautiful ring. And I took those pancakes out and I set them on the table in front of her. And she had no idea. And she went, what? 
and she got all excited and started tearing up a little bit. And I got down on my knee and I said, uh, you want to get married? And she says, are you asking me to marry you? And I said, yes. Will you marry me? And I squirted out a few tears and she squirted out a few tears. And then we took the ring out and, and I put it on her finger and it burned her finger because the pancake was hot. So we had to take it off. I don't think that's an omen. I don't think it's a negative thing. A hot engagement ring from pancake. But uh, eventually it cooled off and we put it on. I put it on her finger. Now the backstory to that. So I'm engaged. Okay, so I'm smoking a cigar. Not because I'm engaged because I had the cigar, but I'm engaged now. Some of you are like, oh, he had a baby, he's having a baby. No, I'm going old school. I asked her to marry me first. Doesn't mean I'm going to wait till I, to, to get married to have the baby. Nothing wrong with getting married to a pregnant person. I think it's kind of hot. It's kind of good. Good pictures. Memorable pictures. But what happened was, I think I told you Jessica wanted to, an engagement ring, so I took her out and I, I, we looked at rings because there's no fucking way in hell I was going to buy that woman uh, a ring based on my own judgment. All I know is that since I got Jessica that ring, uh, th- I hear this a lot. I love my ring, but I love you more. I love you more. It's the second thing she says, but it's okay. I get it, all right? I, it's not my first rodeo, but this is the best rodeo I've been at. So we go shopping for rings. She finds one she likes, and it's at a it's at a, a, a great store down on Beverly. What's it called? Want to buy a watch? My buddy Coop had bought an engagement there uh, ring there, and woman there, uh, Christine, I think her name is. She does good stuff, and I trusted her. So we look at rings, and she finds one she likes, and she's like, "Oh my God, that's it! That's the magic ring! That's the magic one!" And the woman who owns the place, she's like, "That is kind of a magic ring." I'm like, "Okay, just relax." So then we go look at a couple other places. She doesn't see rings she, she likes. And I'm like, all right. So then we go home and I know she likes that ring. That's the ring. And then she's bothering me for you. Not in a serious way, but she keeps holding up her hand ring. I like, you know, if you're going to get me a ring, I hope you got that ring. If you got that ring. And then it went away. This was weeks ago. She stopped talking about it. But look, I know what the situation I'm in. The day after I looked at that ring, I called that woman up and I said, hold that ring for me. What do I got to put down to hold that ring? Because if I'm going to do this, I need that one. So, basically, I bought the ring, and I brought it home, and I stuck it in my desk for two and a half weeks. And during that two and a half weeks, I just looked at Jessica. Every spare moment I had, I scrutinized her. That poor woman, I was sitting there just looking at him, and she's looking at me occasionally going, what? And I'm like, nothing. But I was going, am I going to marry her? I was looking for some reason not to. I was looking for things that she was doing that I was going to think, how the hell can I handle that my whole life? I was looking at her for some quirk of behavior that I hadn't noticed before, some disposition, some emotional flaw that was going to make the entire thing crumble down. And you know what? I couldn't find one. The day before I was going to propose, maybe two days before, I did have a moment where I'm like, holy shit, this room is never going to get cleaned up. She's just like this. What are you going to do, man? It's over. I'm not doing it. Then I sat here and I talked myself down and I said, what are you going to do, man? You love her. You care about her. What are you going to do? Have you ever loved somebody like this? Have you ever cared for somebody like this? Have you ever been this decent a man to anybody else? Have you ever had this much joy in your life from another person? And I speak to myself in this tone. And I add, you asshole, what are you going to do, Mark? What are you going to do? And my heart's like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm nervous. And, you know, I can't really trust myself. I, I, I just, you know, I've gotten in trouble before. And, you know, I'm still a little, I'm a little wounded. And I just don't know. Ah, shut up, heart. Shut up. 
I'm taking you with me on this one. And I decided, and I put that ring, I knew I was going to do it Monday morning, but I didn't know how. My idea was I was just going to put it in the bed. So she rolled over on it and said, what's this? And then pulled it out and go, oh my God. And then I realized, I don't know. And I told, uh, told Jonah Ray about that. He's like, you're lucky you didn't do that. She might think you fucked somebody else in your bed and they left a ring there. I'm like, well, that's not possible because we're, you know, she's always home right now. It's summer. She's not in school. So that didn't seem like a good way. Then the pancake idea hit me. The pancake idea. Stick that ring in the fucking pancake and deliver it to her. A hot ring. Well, no, I bought it, but it was hot. It was actually physical. You know what I'm saying. So that's it. That's the story. That's part one of a, what I think is going to be a long unfolding narrative. Uh, what I hope to be a very good story. But you know, you never know, do you? Right now, it's a good story. The other thing I wanted to hip you to is that I know I was talking about the patent troll business and I'm in it. You know, uh, you know, I have gotten threatening letters. Uh, the president is now on board. He's taking some executive actions against this heinous business of predatory scumbags who are shaking down people that can't afford to defend themselves against bogus patents that they've pushed through the system that they retrofit onto anything they want. So fuck them. Fuck them. And thank you, President Barack Obama, for at least heightening awareness and taking some action. If you guys want to educate yourself on what me and Adam Carolla and Jesse Thorne, Sam Cedar, uh, guys over at the Bugle and others are going through, obviously Adam has been sued. Uh, I have not, but we're being shook down, terrorized and threatened to fork over some bread. So listen to me. You can, uh, you can find information on this. I want you to educate yourself because it could happen to your business. could just happen to you for turning your fucking computer on. All right? So you should really check out NPR's Planet Money and Ira Glass's This American Life. Uh, they both did great shows on this patent troll, the one we're dealing with. Uh, they interviewed the guy. Uh, they interviewed me. Uh, you should listen to them and understand what we're really up against because this is real shit and I might need your help in the future. Right now, we got a lot of things going on, but this is a decent fight. It's the right fight. Go to npr.org for Planet Money and thisamericanlife.org to hear those shows. Ira did two shows on patent trolls. It's fucking disgusting. What an abuse. What a misappropriation of capitalism. What fucking scumbags. Right now, it's my honor to bring to you an interview I did with Tommy Stinson, the bass player of The Replacements, one of the greatest rock and roll bands in the world ever, Paul Westerberg and the rest of them. The Replacements were great, and uh, I miss them, quite frankly. So let's go and listen to me and Tommy Stinson. So your record was some sort of doorway in for me into what Power Pop was and into understanding that fucking music. Do you ever put that much thought into it? Like, this is a power pop record. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Guess it'll be a short interview. Questions like, nope. No, no, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, no. And there's a lot of that. I mean, Big Star, perfect example of that kind of thing, just chord structure. It's all the same crap, but it's just... You know, uh, twisting up a chord to make it something interesting and give it, you know, finding another voice in that gives, makes your brain think of a different vocal melody of yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of how that works for me, you know? Yeah, and, and like uh, Big Star, that's another example of like one of these seminal bands that never were huge. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it, it, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the fucking history of art has them, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, think of Van Gogh. If he, 
he, he didn't fucking know what he was doing. He, yeah. you know, he's like, I'm a fucking painter, and this is what I do. And <laughs> yeah, fucking, yeah. who gave a shit? That's you know? right. I'm doing this for the sake of doing this. And and so we'll all probably be famous when we're dead. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> we, yeah, we hope. I don't know. I think you're pretty famous the way it is. I, your guy sent me the... Um, the mutiny of one record well one man mutiny one, one man, man mutiny, mutiny. yeah that, that, it was a mutiny of one definitely yeah. <laughs> but, but i had i didn't have it no oh, you know okay. now i'm all, all i'm all up in the vinyl so i listen to that thing that's a great fucking record oh thanks man appreciate it's it it's so exciting just to put on a record where you're like and then like within the first two chords i'm like holy shit this is it i'm yeah. into this <laughs> were you were you awesome. playing guitar on that i play most i play most everything on it uh, there's a few songs I've got different drummers. You know, my friend Gersh plays drums on some things. Jeez, uh, I think Frank played drums on a few things, two things. But most of it's me on guitar and bass and other weird stuff. But it's just got that, filling in here and there. It feels like it just like there's a, a an element to the the way you play and and I think the way that you know, the way you where you come from where it's just it just feels like it's all just hanging together and you know, and it's just perfect. There's space in it. It feels raw. It feels like dude's playing music. Yeah, having well, a good lot, time. Um, the, the the good part of that one that I, that it's sort of a new staple for me is yeah. is uh, Uncle Sippy. Uncle Sippy's my 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 guitar player, my slide player. It's my wife's uh, my wife's uncle, yeah. and he's great. He's kind of he's 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 come from the same school of like sort of haphazard music making, and yeah, yeah, uh, it's yeah. just sort of like on the verge of completely falling apart, or it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's right where you want to be, right? That's right on the cusp of something. I don't know what you're going to call it, but it's on the cusp of something that could be something good someday. But Maybe was a little it, more dead. But wasn't that sort of the vibe? Like you know, I don't. When did you start playing with the? When did the replacements officially happen? <laughs> we officially, I think, officially happened in 1980. And I how think. old were you? Uh, let's see, 66, 76, 14, 15 years old. <laughs> That's crazy. We made our first record what in 80. 1980. Sorry, my I think 80, 81, maybe. And you were like 15 years old. Yeah. And your brother actually was, I was a little younger than that for that run. And how how'd you get uh, roped into that? I mean, how did that all go down? You know, that bastard. Yeah. <laughs> no, he uh, um, he had come out of the group out of a group home scenario. He's in a lot of trouble as a kid. Who, Bob? Yeah, didn't like didn't like moving to Minneapolis. Um, wanted to stay in Florida where his guitar was and and all his friends and shit. So he was rebellious and fucking tried to kill himself, all this stuff. Can I swear? Yeah. Okay. And uh, and uh, when he came home from that whole, he's your half brother. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he caught he caught me monkeying around one of his guitars, his bass, yeah. actually up in up in his bedroom, and he asked me if I wanted to play it, and I was like, sure. Yeah. And then I started trying to play it, and it it hurt. I didn't, I wasn't into it. Yeah. And then uh, he goes, no, keep playing it. I'll buy you a candy bar. And then it was like, I'll buy you a Coke. And then when it hurt my fingers, I want to quit. And he'd I'd start crying. He'd, yeah. He had I had up the ante, you know, and I kind of bribed him. So what he got out of it was a bass player. When I got out of it, it's fucking you know a bunch of candy and. A career Pop. in music. <laughs> yeah, and then, of course, it cuts to... And I actually had a therapist tell me once, going through some stuff I was going through that... Because uh, I'd always talked about my mother and how my mother, you know, you know, really kind of, you know, kept it together for us, as, you know, under the, you know, stuff that she knew and the best she could do it with and that. And I, was, I had a therapist tell me, you know, it was really your brother that actually saved your ass. It wasn't really your mom. Your brother was the one that said, I'm going to get you out of here. And that's why he showed, you know, she put it to me that way in terms of, that's why he showed you how to play bass. He didn't, he wants you to get the fuck out of that stuff. You well, know, what was going, going on? on? You know, we just grew up, you know, in a fucking alcoholic family. You know, yeah. just had the whole, the whole nine of just, you know, growing up in a, 
you know, sort of unstable, you know, survivalist kind of, you know, lifestyles, little kids, you know. And, and it was up in uh, Minnesota? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, your old man, like, Bob is your half-brother, by you, so you share a dad? Nope, we shared my mom, that's it. Yeah. Uh, his father was, um, you know, from Minnesota. My father was actually, I think my mom met him in California and moved to Florida with him. We, they didn't were married, so I'm an original bastard. Yeah. <laughs> as my little a, sisters. Florida's always a weird choice. You know, you, if you end up in Florida and you're not old, there's something... I you know I, I have a, my friend Danny Murphy man from Soul Asylum yeah. he's the, he's into Florida and I'm yeah. like dude you're not that old brother yeah. <laughs> you're just not you're not but it's, but it's but, a freak show you start to appreciate it it's like it's like a free for all down there it's a wild fucking west half yeah. the time yeah. he he likes it down there I mean he you know he's got this little community he hangs out and he's got a beautiful beautiful apartment with like all the best you know vintage you know. Art Deco trimmings oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. involved, and it's so really he, great. So but, he's doing high end Florida. So yeah. You, so you got so you okay. So Bob drags you into the base, and he, he got you off the streets, kind of. He right? yeah, he did because I had been to jail three times by that time already. For what? Stealing shit. Yeah. Running away. Yeah. Doing bullshit. And he was breaking in, in houses and, and shit. Oh really? I was fucking cre- I was just a creepy little kid. But wasn't Bob sort of half a criminal too? <laughs> yeah, he had just, he was half a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got in the band, and then we were both completely criminal. But that's a whole other story. And, and then when did Paul come along? Paul came along, you know, we met up with Chris because uh, Chris was... See, Bob was dating my friend's sister who lived next door to Chris. Yeah. And uh, Andy Olson, God, she was batshit. Yeah. My God. Everyone's batshit. Oh, man, they were... All the good ones are batshit. Yeah, that wasn't a good one. <laughs> Uh, and, and Chris came along first, and Chris knew of Paul, lived down the street and played guitar, and, you know, he, they all kind of fell together like that. Yeah? Yeah. And, uh, and in terms of, like, just the reputation you guys had for just fucking off, how did that uh, unfold? You know, we just kind of went with our flow. Yeah? <laughs> our flow was not real good. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, young and crazy and sort of all... C- all fucking broken kids. I mean, all of us come from a broken background, you know, just sort of, you know, one thing or another, alcoholism, you know, yeah. b- abusive, you know, childhoods, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess it kind of breeds crazy people. And when when you guys were working out songs and writing songs, I mean, was, <laughs> was it a group effort? Because I know that, like, I you know, Westerberg, I, I don't know much about him. I, I've listened to a lot of his records. You know, I know things... I don't know how they ended. Maybe we can we can talk about that. But you know, a lot of people think that uh, you know you and Bobby were like the driving forces of that thing. Uh, you know, early on, I think he kind of took over the songwriting before we were in the replacements. Like he came in when we kind of had this singer guy. Um, well, who was that guy? Oh God, what the hell was his name? I can't even remember. It was so long, like ago. classic teenage singer guy. Yeah, like, no, he was. No, he wasn't even a good singer or nothing. He was just a friend of a friend that yeah. sold weed, you know. And, and um, you know, and <laughs> that guy. Yeah, he was <laughs> yeah. that guy for yeah. sure. Paul kind of, you know, came in with some songs and kind of moved him out. So he, you know, he kind of had a few things up his sleeve when he came in, and and from there on. You know, the way the songwriting went down, we'd hash things out. And I guess as history would show, some of that stuff he gave us credit for, some of the stuff, you know, he just considered he wrote on his own. And there was just really no, there was really no talking about it. We didn't really like sit down and go, hey, well, I wrote, you know, the bass line for that song or whatever. Because really, we didn't, no one really knew anything about what the fuck we were doing, except this is what we're doing here. We're just going to do this. Right. Get in a van, go right. play a gig, yeah. get drunk, go back. I mean, it was like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, um, 
And 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 so like when you guys started to record, where'd you start to record? Where were the first? There was this. Uh, well, there was this. There was a friend of ours that yeah. was actually more of a friend of Paul's that had a little recording rig that we kind of used out in this ballroom for the, like the first demos or whatever. Four track. I think it was a four track, yeah, yeah, some kind of a tape, like reel to reel thing or some <laughs> shit, you know, but really? old school, yeah, old yeah, school yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, and that's where the first demos came from. And then after that, when we did Sorry Ma, we did a play at a place called Blackberry Way Studios, which was in, it was all the way on the other side of town by the university, northeast Minneapolis, and um, we made like the first four records, three, three, four records there. And what label were they on? Twin Tone Records, which uh, and that was in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, local Minneapolis record company. Were they, who were the other guys? Year. Who's could do on there too? No, they went. They were SST. Right, that's um, right. Soul Asylum, the Suburbs, Suicide Commandos were on there. A, a load of like Minneapolis bands that a lot of their names I'm, I'm blanking on right now. But there was a bunch of them, and they had a record before we put our stuff out called Big Hits in Mid America. I think Volume Two or something like that. And it was yeah. just all it was a compilation of it was two two LPs with the Suburbs, courtesy all these local bands on it. And they kind of, they had enough, I guess, enough success with that to kind of launch, you know, more of a record company thing after that and slowly built it up. Twin Tone actually lasted for a pretty decent amount of time for a little indie label from, from shit bagville. How, know. And I'm, like, I'm wondering how the fuck can I uh, replace or find again, like I'm, I'm replacing vinyls that I don't know what happened to and, yeah. and no one, no one's reissued Let It Be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have Warner Brothers. Did they? Warner Brothers reissued all of our records because what happened was Twin Zone got bought up by another company and by another company and the catalog got bought up by um, Ryko Disc at some point and then Ryko Disc got bought out by Warner Brothers. So now all our Warner Brothers records and the Twin Tone records are all distributed through, in effect, Warner Brothers. So they did a repackaging. I did some remixes of some outtakes and shit, you know, about... From know, Let It Be? From all the early Twin Tone records. And, and what, um, well, how do you approach that when you do, like, because I always wonder that, like, because, you know, a, a, is there any part of you that thinks like, no, th- this sounds shitty, but that's the way it's supposed to be? Yeah, I, you know, it was funny. I had to pull this stuff up in a digital format because it was all done on fucking eight track and, you know, I think 20, <laughs> I think, I, the, I think Let It Be might have been 18 tracks or something, but I had to pull this stuff up in the digital realm, so it all had to be dumped down in a digital into the digital realm so I could do exactly that, listen to it, and and kind of come up with some of the outtakes. And the earlier record, like Twin Tone, uh, like Masarimon stuff, had more had more outtakes than the later records because as we started touring and shit, yeah. there was less time to sit and you know, right, right, you know, write songs and shit. But um, it was interesting, you know. Some of it sounded bleak, and then there's some of it that you, I was listening to, like a bleak like a, in tone or just, just bleak in the way they were produced. No, just you know, just you know cruddy and and they didn't transfer very well either yeah. so that had to be dealt with a little bit too but it was funny to pull up paul's guitar and bob's guitar and solo them up and listen to them how they actually played off of each other which i'm sitting there in my studio this is like almost six or seven years ago now i'm sitting there listening to this going man like they really played off of each other and i don't even fucking think they knew it <laughs> i think they're both just we're just playing and like and you look, put them up together and they sounded great together like really? they're really bouncing off each other and shit and i was like god this is kind of like what you hear the stones do and, right you know, and they right. had no i mean it wasn't even a constant a concentrated effort it was innate not, it was just there you know? yeah well, that's I, fucking awesome oh man. it was killer to pull that stuff and you know it was you know, young and just slamming it out. And, you know, there was a few extra songs that I got to, I had to remix with my buddy Phil, Philip Broussard. And um, 
and on there they put all that stuff on in vinyl and you know CD. So you can get that stuff reissued on pretty decent sounding vinyl on Warner Brothers. I don't know if it's still. You might have to eBay it or some shit. But. Right, right. So that was uh, that was like seven years ago. My timetable might be wrong. I, it, it might have been sooner. Oh, it I might know. Have been five or six years ago. Yeah. He's got it down the street for 30 bucks. And I'm like, really? For Let It Be? Well, like a yeah. Warner Brothers version or like be, an original? It must be an original. But original, he, he probably. An original Twin Tone version would probably be more than that, I think. Yeah. It must be the Warner Brothers one. And then I think they I think they only did a limited run of the, of the vinyl. I'm not exactly sure. Oh, yeah, okay, I, I can call someone find out for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll do if you research. really give a shit, I'll, I'll do the I'll research. Call. Well, I just picked up, I picked up Tim on vinyl, and you know, yeah. I had that, and I don't know what the hell happened after my records, but now everybody, that seems to be the uh, the current midwife crisis of choice yeah. for people in their late 40s and early 50s is to like, you know, I need my records again. Yeah. Gonna, I need a tube amp. <laughs> so like, I've been looking. I've been looking for a good stereo, man. I, check me out. My, I, I'm so used to sitting in my damn studio, listening to stuff and trying re- and recording that way. And I don't even have a decent like stereo. I ended up buying a Rogue Audio. They're out of Pennsylvania. It's a tube. I'll show it to you after. Yeah, it's a tube amp. It's got nothing, man. It's got a built-in phono preamp, but it's got no tone control. So it's just volume balance tubes cool and, yeah and you just run the the turntable into that and that's it the sound that comes out is the sound you get turn it up or turn it down that's it wow so there's no imaging on that no. that's awesome it is pretty awesome i, I, I you know that's kind of what i'm looking for and i you know i've been you know my daughter works my oldest daughter works for john Vervedos and in the shop in uh, in the bowery yeah he's got all these macintosh like old yeah, stuff yes. and it's like it's actually not that not that expensive for this stuff anyway but i just you know i i don't know what's good like what, what? is good what's a good stereo now whatever I mean, you get off on that's yeah. a, it's a rabbit hole dude i interviewed jack white because <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it fucking never ends man this whole thing started with me i go down to nashville and i interviewed jack and he's got a wall of fucking Macintosh. So I'm thinking like, hey, he's got a wall of those. How much could it cost? So I go price Macintosh. I'm like, that's too fucking much. Yeah. No, I can't spend $15,000 on a fucking amp. Yeah, because I'll never enjoy it. Because then you'll just sit there and be like, does this sound like fifteen thousand dollars? I don't fucking. You start that. you start listening to your records differently. Going, you know, I think it sounds. It yeah. used to sound better when they, I played it in my car. That's you know? right, and that's that's, that's right, that's the, and that's the innate problem with any stereo I've had. Is that you know I've had people give me cool stuff and it's supposed to sound great. Yeah, I just go, fuck. Yeah. It sounds better in the Ford. Yeah, you know? on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a yeah. that's the big. But you're problem. saying the Rogue Power Amp is the way to go. What do you well, got I'll for speakers? You. Anything good? Yeah, they're called uh, they're Sonus Toy Towers. They're made. They were Italian made. I just went to a place. I finally just like I, I don't. Is like, that the shit I just walked through? Yeah, yeah. Okay, stuff I just saw you. I'll play you something on there right. afterwards. <laughs> so when you're listening, play me my record. I'd love to hear what it sounds like on an actual stereo. <laughs> okay, I'll Never. do it. I got it right there. I I haven't heard it. I got it right there. Killer. Um, awesome. The so you're listening to Bob and Paul play off each other, and you're and you're the one holding the backbone of the thing together. But like like it seemed like Bob, like he was one of those guys who like his rhythm was all lead. Am yeah. I right? Like oh, he, he you just, know, no, he he played he played his part, and then you know he would start his solo I mean, before riffs. the solo came right, in, and he right. would just <laughs> just go <laughs> woo. And yeah. and was he like uh, like he's one of these great rock and roll mythic madmen? Was did he? Was he? <laughs> I love that. That's exactly my brother. Yeah, I mean, was that was he was just balls to the wall all the way through? He was. Yeah, he was. You know, zero to a thousand, pretty much at, at all points of the day. Like he wouldn't. Uh, it's the only guy I, I ever saw 
walk down the street during the dead of winter and simultaneously drink a 40 ounce and piss at the same time (laughs) while still walking down the street. Now, I mean, he'd just be pulling the dick out. He'd just be, you know, drinking, pissing, walking, talking. It's like, yeah, you, what are you doing over there? Like, ah, I got piss. Not even stop, you know. Yeah, yeah. Killer. And when, when, when the replacements were like, because it was, you guys were really, I mean, that, I mean, you, you guys sort of defined American punk that wasn't punk rock, but it was like the spirit of the thing. And then people sort of credit you for you being like the, 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 the quintessential indie rock band. But you right. guys were just a fucking rock band. You had no consciousness of that shit, right? No, no. I mean, we kind of got, we, we, you know, during the hardcore, you know, stink era or whatever, we got kind of limped into playing shows with like, you know, Circle Jerks and Black Flag right. and shit like that. And, and we, you know... I don't think there was ever any intent on on Paul or my brother's, you know, behalf to try, yeah. to try and be a hardcore band. We just played things fast, and that yeah. was kind of our our bit. And uh, as time went on, you know, it got to be you know too much work to keep playing shit that fast. And so you know, the song <laughs> you can hear the songwriting kind of evolve into more, you know, a little more complex structures and things like that, and yeah. kind of. Uh, and a little more, you know, a little more soul as opposed to speed. Right. Uh, you know, a little more I, melody. Yeah, more like. melody and more, con- and you know, more of a, you know, we kind of grew from that. It's like if we didn't get, if we'd gotten lumped into that, we would have just gotten pigeonholed and we would have gotten stuck. Whereas we just said, fuck it. And unconsciously, we got to kind of grow from that. And Paul's songwriting got to grow from that as well. And that's that's the best thing that really could have happened to us is that we were able to do that chose to slow down well not even chose to slow down it was just you know the the songwriting evolved we evolved we evolved until a point where my brother wasn't able to evolve sadly and that's why we you know, had to get rid of that had to fire him essentially um but you know we we instead i mean a lot of bands at that time were like you know they they stayed their course you know and as bands do now i mean they try and recreate the same hit they had you know two years ago, whatever. And, you know, there's just, that never works. You know, you get your vibe by exploring and, and trying new things and always, you know, trying to re- reinvent the wheel, so to speak. And I think we kind of had our chance to do that. And and the problem with that is the record industry really wasn't on, you know, into that scene either. They kind of wanted to <laughs> mold us a bit. And we right, were they unmoldable. Want... Right. We were. And it, but you kept your sound. I mean, it's it's weird because if you listen even to the evolution of all the Replacements albums, I mean, the lyrics and, and the sort of tone of it is uniquely yours. Yeah. But that's not enough for a record company. They're no. looking for one hit and then they want you to write that hit 10 times on a record. Yeah. And that's not to say we didn't have any hits because I think what happened when we might have possibly had a hit, we, you know, fucking flipped the fucking finger to the fucking record company and pissed them off, you know? <laughs> I don't think we're the easiest people to work with is kind of what that comes down to. When, when, did that, when do you remember that first happening? Where you were like... Oh, we got signed to Warner Brothers and... After fuck, which record? The After, before Tim. Before Tim and then... So we, right after Let It Be. Yeah. Yeah. So we make Tim and they want to have a little meeting and fucking talk about how they're going to help our career and we just fucking lock ourselves in a room and get hammered, you know? <laughs> That's what basically it. <laughs> but for that reason, you're, yeah, you're, it's like you know, yeah, we're just gonna sit in here and fucking be idiots that we were. Do you regret you know? that? No, no. You know what? We did what we did, and it's part of it's part of you know what became the history. I mean, we I don't think we could have done it any different. We saw we saw firsthand how bands like REM were able to play the game. You know how they were able to kind of manip. You know you know handshake with the devil basically that we just couldn't do you know we couldn't 
we couldn't conform to any of those standards or any of those, you know, sort of ideals that they had that they wanted us to do and the way they wanted us to be. I remember one time they, uh, you know, some, uh, I can't remember who it was that sat us down to show us a fucking a video of Metallica's, what's that song, One? Yeah. They, they showed us, this, you know, they're trying to get us, to, we're getting ready to go make a video. I can't remember yeah. what record it was, but they're showing this, check out this video, this is fucking huge, it's Metallica, and we're watching this thing, and we're just going, what, is what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, it would just, and we just like walked out of there scratching our heads back to the bar like, fuck these people. What, <laughs> what in the hell are they talking about? <laughs> Had nothing to do with us. Any, we under, I mean, in, in, in hindsight, I can look back and go, yeah, they're just trying to show us like, you know, you know, the kind of, you know, check this out, this director, something, you know, something right, along right. those lines. But yeah. But what they did, in effect, was just t- completely turn us off to anything they had to say about anything, and it, it, it implied they didn't understand you. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and it kind of was that way. I mean, we we did our best. I think. I mean, I, I'll say, I think we did our best to try and to play along. As far as like press and stuff like that, we did all you know all the press. You know, they fucking threw at us, and all the radio that would have us, which wasn't much, um, due to the nature of our beast. I think, but you know, I. I I think it's a two pronged thing. I think part of it is we we didn't weren't able to work the game. Yeah. Like our you know, some of our peers and I think that um the game didn't want to play us either, you know. Well you have I mean you you and Dave Perner go back way back, right? Yeah, we go back to high school. Well, I mean that's a good example of a dude like I knew the dude briefly, the dude who signed them originally, I think. Benji what's his name? Benji Gordon. Benji Gordon. I knew that was him the third record deal they had or whatever. But. Right. I knew him briefly at a different point in my life. But they that was sort of a thing that they had to contend with, too, is that they had that huge record. Yeah. And then I imagine that he had to sort of deal with that. How come you're not making that record again? No. they. I've, I've heard the story from Dave about it. It's like, you know, they... And Danny, it's like, well, they, you know, they, you know, did Grave Dancers Union, sold a shit ton of records and, and fucking big old success. They make the record after that, only sells a million records. And they're like, okay, now we're going to drop you. It's like... Well, we just sold a million fucking records. Like, yeah, what's yeah. wrong with you? Well, yeah. it's not enough. It's like, well, what do you mean that ain't enough? It's a fucking million <laughs> it's records. A million records. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, and now, and all those kind of fucking people, they name fuck. They have, you know, Benji's and works for MTV now, apparently. But all these fucking people that were the ones, you know, that were fucking, you know, holding the fucking powers that be back then, they're all fucking, they don't have jobs anymore. No, the A&R guys are done. And and and, and it fucking warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Only fucking people I care about that have any goddamn knowledge of music are st- that that really fucking care and are totally just music people are still there doing it. Peter Jesperson's a great example that he he signed the replacements. You know we're kids. He's still working in the business. And he still just loves fucking music. He's a perfect example of that. You know. Well, that back in the day, I mean, there were people that that were fortunate enough to see you guys live in in your heyday, and that was like the that was the thing that people be like, "Do you ever see the Mats live?" I'm like, I, I, "No, I missed the whole fucking thing." Yeah. And that was like that was the shit because <laughs> they well, well, you just never knew what was going to happen. <laughs> that was the shit a lot of times. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what yeah. was it? It was completely unpredictable, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's taken a while for me to get over it. When I first moved to L.A., I'd, I'd have... It was really weird. I was all creeped out. When was this? 93. When I first got out here, you know, I'd go to clubs and stuff, and I'd have these people come up to me, and I was still still getting over the whole Matt's fan yeah. crazy stuff. And it was like, 
you know, people would walk up and approach me and I'd just kind of shake them. I'm like, what do you want? What are you <laughs> doing to me? Yeah, and people would come up to me like, man, you fucking played the best show I ever saw in my whole life, man. You guys didn't play one of your own songs. It was great. I'm just thinking, man, you were fucking robbed and you don't even fucking know it, you know? But, you know, whatever, man. They bought it. You would do all covers sometimes? More than once. <laughs> Like I know you did uh, another girl, another planet. Yeah. Uh, that's, I heard that one. But what other covers were the ones you like oh, doing? Oh man, we did all kinds of just. I mean, shit. It's the fans. Yeah, we did stone stuff. We did it just anything we felt like doing in a moment's notice. I remember we were opening for Tom Petty one time, and we did Whipping Post out of just, and it was just kind of <laughs> Paul saying his ass off. It was great, but I'm like, what the fuck are we doing, man? Yeah, sucking. You just wing it. You just, would never. He just it? started playing it. Who did Bob? Paul. Oh, Paul. Paul. Yeah, Bob. Bob was gone at this point, but um, yeah, it was just you know we were just uh, just uh, a hair, you know. Well, that's a, he's a he's a great example. Tom Petty is a guy that you know I think that for a lot of years made roughly the same record, you know, or the same sound. I mean, I yeah. love him. I yeah. love all his records, but it didn't seem like till way after he sold a billion records that he was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to do what I want," you yeah. know. Did you yeah. have a good time with him? Did you guys get to know him at all? Yeah, he's a good guy. I mean, he did, he, when we met him, yeah, I remember talking to him one time. He just yeah. was telling me, you know, he just he loves making records, loves writing. He just hated touring. Oh, he really? He was just like, God, I hate, uh, I just I hate having to leave home. I mean, I, and shit, now that I'm 46 years old, I get it. You know, I'm death, fucking sick to death of fucking airports and everything else, but... Uh, you but you know, don't you don't live in L.A. anymore, right? No, no, I live in uh, upstate New York now. But uh, you know, it, the traveling, all the aspects of traveling, they've just they've 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 gotten to be old and tiresome. Sure, at my age, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't mean I'm gonna stop anytime soon. It just means I'm gonna yeah, probably gonna have to just complain eat about it. it. Yeah. Complain about it. Yeah, I'm gonna go to I gotta go to Columbus tomorrow morning. <laughs> good luck with <laughs> good luck with that, dude. <laughs> Columbus, yeah. Six o'clock flight, man. I'm doing Cincinnati and then Columbus. Nice. Good times. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It, it used, a, Columbus used to be a kind of a cool little scene back in the day, in the yeah? 80s. Yeah, I had a good little little vibe. The uh, little rock club there, Stashes, I think it was. It was, it was kind good. of a cool vibe. Yeah. You guys, did you guys play Boston and play the Rat and do all that shit? All that crap. Yeah. Boston was kind of our first home away from home. I mean, that was the it's first big place. scene, man. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was fun. Fun yeah. town back then. So your brother, the last the last record he was on was Tim. Yep. And then yeah. what? How that shit hit the fan? Well, it kind of came down to Paul sitting us down and and saying, you know, I really like I I I either want to quit the band or I can't play with Bob anymore. It's like I, it's, you know, it's I like playing with you two guys, but I can't play with him anymore because Bob really at that point was sort of a loose cannon and a. Um, you know, he, he, drug and alcohol problems were starting to get really out of hand, and we actually put him through treatment that didn't take, and uh, just had to kind of move on, you know. And it was kind of a, it was a bummer, but we also at the same time were like, well, we, we like playing with you too, so I guess, guess my brother's got to go, and it kind of had to happen, you know. Yeah, and did you like ultimately, you know, sound wise, did did you miss him? You know, we always missed him. I think even Paul always did, but it was like. I think at that point, at that point, it was, you know, it was after Tim and uh, it just got to be like, shit, you know, this is is becoming more of something I really want to do. I think the realization that, you know, came into that is like, well, this isn't just us fucking around anymore, just goofing around making records. This is like, this is what we're doing now. We want to, and so if we want to do that and, and continue to go and make, make records and, you know, do this for real, we got to, you know, we can't do it that way. Right. 
not that we changed a whole lot, but but um, you know, it was an, as a degree of over the top that he went that we just couldn't deal with anymore. And then those ne- the next couple records, uh, they, how did how did Tim and then Please to Meet Me and Don't Tell how they all sell? I think um, I think I think that Please to Meet Me might be the bigger seller of those. I'm not sure exactly. I think um, I think Benny pulled it up the other day. And I was saying something to the effect of, um, yeah. pleased to meet me as, as far as sound scan goes. I don't really know before sound scan. So there's, you know, there's a big gray area right, there. Right. <clears throat> how many records were sold or not. But, uh, yeah. And then uh, how many band changes did you go through? Who took Who took your brother's place? Well, video? Slim Dunlop took my brother's place. And, um, and uh, he played on pretty much the rest of the records after Tim. And did he play like your brother? No, no, completely opposite. He was very much more of a careful kind of, um, you know, melodic guitar player. I mean, he didn't, um, he didn't walk the same, same walk. Yeah, and, did, and he's he's ill now. Yeah, he's uh, sadly he had a, a series of strokes last year that has left him um, in pretty rough shape. He's not, you know, he's not able to play guitar. You know, he's kind of his left. I think it's his left side that's kind of is still trying to recover from it. And um, recently, we did a. A songs for Slim EP. Paul and I and Chris kind of got together as re- not as replacements, the three of us. But Paul and I recorded some songs. How with, was that? Uh, with some guys. Oh, it's a lot of fun. We did one of Slim songs, and we did four other covers. And um, and then Chris did one of Slim songs at his studio, and we put that in there together and uh, made an EP out of it. And we just auctioned them off. We made them like one hundred and five thousand dollars, you know, out of two hundred fifty. You know, oh, ten great, inches man. made. Yeah, and they're all numbered and stuff. It's kind of a cool thing, but um, you know, it kind of starts the ball rolling. There's gonna be some more of those um, with other groups, like Steve Earl did a track, Steve and Earl, with some uh, you know, a bunch of other people, like stif- different A and B sides, different artists, and all that. And there's gonna be a series of them throughout the year that are all gonna go to benefit him because it's, he's gonna need a lot of a lot of money to get you know to offset the uh, out of pocket you know rehab sure. costs and all that. Sure, but he's uh, he's kind of functioning. And he's he's fun. He's kind of functioning. He's slowly you know making progress, and you know hopefully. So hopefully he'll make more progress as time goes along, you know? Isn't it fucking wild? I mean, I can't imagine just being from your side of it, just, you know, the taxing life and, and the amount of casualties there are in fucking rock and roll in <laughs> terms of people. You know, they don't just, they don't make it to 60 or they get run into trouble. And like, yeah. And then, it's I, it's so weird. The, uh, the You never got strung out? No. Well, you know, I've had my bouts of shit and, um, and I... Uh, I don't think I ever really had a full-on like drug problem necessarily. Yeah, but um, you know, I've never. Luckily, I mean, I'm still here. I mean, I doesn't mean I'm not gonna pop off tomorrow. <laughs> Could fucking die in my sleep tonight. Who knows? But um, you know, it is weird. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason other than that's you know, it's kind of a hard living kind of sure. occupation. It's not one that's you know, I recommend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, if you if you had it, like, when you look back on it, do you 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 wish you had done something else or? Uh, I wish I'd done things better. Yeah. Like when, in terms of like labels and everything else, I mean, how much bitterness do you have about that? I, I don't really have any, you know, I think, I think back and I'm actually, you know, I, when I, when I get nostalgic about it, I'm actually just proud and, and stoked that I was there. You know, we, we did our little thing. We left a little mark there for people to look at and go listen to and fucking yap about whatever. And, and I think it's, you know, it's cool. Not a lot of bands get to do that. Even bands that make big records don't actually make the fucking history books. That's you know? right. People forget about you. So I, I think that's kind of a, we, I think we left our little mark. 
So that's cool, you know, and the business was what it was and it's there's no changing any of that. So why bother complaining about it? Yeah, you know? yeah. And in terms of- uh, I like what I do now. I, I do all kinds of different crap now and I've got the freedom to do it because I was lucky enough to <laughs> make it to 46 and be and still, still doing stuff. And you, know? you still honor, you know, it seems like you still honor the sound that you love. Like, you, you know, that you, you've evolved- as a songwriter and as a player, but you still do, you know, you can still hear where you come from in well, your yeah. music. You can't really shake that shit though. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It's it's ingrained in you. Yeah, yeah. Which songs do you think should have been fucking huge songs that you know, that weren't? Like, wow. that, which ones do you think, like, I can't fucking believe that that song didn't take off? You know, uh, there's a bunch of them, really. Yeah, if yeah. I think back on it, you know, yeah, Left of the Dial, I always thought was a really great song. And Bastards yeah, yeah. of Young, I thought was oh, a really yeah. great song. Think, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Merry Go Round, I, I was su- surprised that didn't, you know, do something with such a. Do you think that was a, that, that was a record company's fault and radio play and just the politics? I, you, and shit? you know, I don't. I mean, I think it's <laughs> we were what we were, and we, you know, we're at where we're at, and that was that. That was it. I mean, there's really. I, I, yeah, I think a lot of guys could sit here and spin all kinds of fucking theories, yeah. all kinds of you know theories and and ideas. I just I don't I don't buy into it. I think it's what it was. I think we probably could have, like I said, we could have played the game better probably and, yeah. and sold some more records by doing that. But I don't think it changed anything. I don't think we, you know, yeah, it would we would have lost our soul a little more, you know. And what's a, how did the breakup go down exactly? How did you decide? Honestly, that? we never really broke up. Yeah, we just kind of walked away from it, you know, and left <laughs> it kind of sitting on the bus, you yeah. know, after after that last Grant Park gig, and just left it sitting there. It's probably still floating out there somewhere. <laughs> 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 the ghost of the replacement still lingering somewhere out there. So there was no heartbreak involved or any of that and fighting? No, and no. You know, there really wasn't. I think, it, it, you know, on the last record, Paul was kind of already in, indicating that he wanted to kind of have more, con, not more control, but like more, wanted to get more involved in the producing of that record because he had some ideas he wanted to explore and it's like... On Don't Tell Do Us All? Yeah, uh, no, on the last record, all shook down. Yeah. Which I was, I was totally down with. I think. I think in in, hi, in, in hindsight, I think we were, were the three of us really me me and Chris. I think we're kind of backing it until it really started to happen. And I don't think Chris really liked that someone else was playing drums on stuff. I think it kind of that kind of screwed with him a little bit. And and I know a bunch of bass players came in and played different things on different songs or tried to anyway, which I was cool with because if you listen back to all the Stones records, there's all kinds of different people playing on shit that sure. you think you think is the Stones and like, no man, that's not even Charlie on drums. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. that's fucking the producer. Yeah, you know? Bill's been gone for two years. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I was kind of down with it and as, as it turned out, you know, a lot of the bass parts that p- other people played didn't work out anyway, so I had to go play them anyway. So, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, the, you know, the, so no bad blood, really. No, no. I mean, it was with Chris a little bit, and you know, it's 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 time has healed that one a bit, I think. And you know, he just didn't want to play the drum parts the way they were on the record that he didn't play on. He was not down with that. It's like, well, but that's the way the song goes, whether you played it or not. I mean, shit, Charlie goes out and plays all these fucking songs. Hey, do you not get that? And yeah. he didn't really, he didn't really like that. And so that kind of was the that was not the total caveat. There were things that were happening, but you know, other than Chris. You know, leaving the band. I mean, Paul and I never really, you know. Yeah, you guys. I, I, we were probably more more ready to kill each other early days than the than the end. You know. Yeah. Over what? Just you know, stupid shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I think I tried to quit the band like on our first tour because they were so they were so fucked up. When I was just a kid, I'm like, you guys suck. <laughs> and 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 you know, instead of instead of quitting the band, I joined the party. Yeah. Sad, sadly. And you still talk to Paul? Yeah. That's cool. He's yeah. doing all right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, with you know, we we're always gonna chat about crap. We're always gonna play together in some fashion. Yeah. And when you came out here after the after the mats got done, what was the expectation? I mean, it, it, was the first record Bash and Pop? Yeah, I mean, I think we we left it kind of like you know, I'm gonna go do my thing now, and I'm, you go do your thing, and whatever that is, we'll see each other someday. You know, we and I if I played on I played on I think almost all of his solo records in some way or another. He'd call me up and just you know Westerbergs. Yeah, yeah, yeah he'd call me up. Hey, what are you doing? Want to come play on a song? Yeah, sure, why not? You know. And, and he, but he was still in uh, Minnesota. No, he'd call me because he did most of his records after the mats out here. Yeah, and so he'd call me when he was here and have me come goof off just to bring some vibe and when you moved here what were what was the plan well my plan when i moved here was to kind of get more on the record company to try and help what my little cause was which is that bash and pop record because i knew that um you know bands that break up their solo records afterwards you know don't really have much of a chance as it is so i thought well from minneapolis i'm not gonna be able to cut this so well so i got to get out and kind of in it i'd kind of fallen for another lady which was a uh, part of the the, sure. the thing that, as well. That's always a, a motivator. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, got, had that going for me. Yeah, and uh, and I kind of wanted to, you know, thought if I moved out here and kind of rode the company a little bit, I might get somewhere with that. And what I found is that that wasn't going to happen. They they were just. It was exactly as I thought. I made my record, and and in fact, instead of instead of sticking it out and getting you know having them let me make another record that they do nothing with. I actually asked to be, you know, to get off the label, and I, they let me go. And then you left LA. No, I stay. I stayed here for fuck seventeen years. I was, yeah. I was yeah. just talking talking to him about it. It's like God, I lived here seventeen years. Jesus. And were you you were playing on a lot of other people's records, or you know, I played on some other stuff. I did sessions now and again, and um, and then joined Guns Guns and Roses in ninety eight. So it's oh. been that long already, huh? Yeah. So you've been there longer than Fuck. than uh, than the original bass player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> look, man. I mean, all I know is I'm trying to get you here, and they're like, "Okay, he's coming out," and then <clears throat> and then you get the next email, like it's not clear whether he's coming out. Uh, yeah. Then the next email, it's like, "Yeah, it looks like he's coming out, but we got to wait to hear from Axel." And then the next email, "Okay, we're doing it. We're doing." <laughs> <laughs> Well, what happened? It was supposed to be a stripped down show, and and um, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I was even going to be needed on it. It was going to be that stripped down. Maybe just the guitar players would do it, and then it just kind of kept coming back and forth. And then the venue changed, and it was like, now you got to come out. And I was like, okay, is it? Where's it going to be? It's at the Soho House. It's for some Tommy Hilfiger party. I'm not sure exactly anything more than that, except it's kind of a one off. You know, you're just going to show up. Yeah, you're I'm, you know what, man? I'm just going to show up. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just yeah. I'm going to show up. Yeah. Oh God. So like, okay. So you get you toured. You toured a lot with Guns N' Roses, then. So yeah, it, been you, all over the world, and the world has been all over me. Which get which GNR records that you're on Chinese Democracy? Yeah, yeah. and and uh, but what what are the, what other ones? That's it. That's the only one we've made in the whole 15, 16, 17 years I've been the man. So you can play 15. the you can play the catalog. Yeah. Yeah. And you go out like what I mean in I, my sleep. Yeah. 
<laughs> but why why is it that he can find or he, he can find it in himself to tour everywhere but here um well we toured the states we did we did a bunch of that like the uh, 2010 oh so okay so yeah. you did a bunch and of that. and some other stuff and i think 06 or something like that and who's on guitar now there's a bunch of them there's like 20 guitar players no there's uh, uh, uh richard fortis bumblefoot and dj ashba uh-huh and they all swap back bits. And so there's no, like, none of the original guys. Dizzy Reed. Yeah. On keyboards. And you play with him as well sometimes. Yeah, I have Dizzy. I've had R- Richard Dizzy, Frank Ferrer play on my stuff. And do you, like, I always wonder this about bands. I mean, do, like, do you guys talk? What, like, what happened to Izzy Stradlin? I mean, where's No, that? we see him. He comes out once in a while and plays with us. Yeah. He's a totally great guy. Yeah. We have, yeah. we, he's, he's, he's. <laughs> He's a funny dude, man. He's, he's a great player. He's kind of Keithy, kind of. Yeah. Like, you, know, he, you should check out his new record. He played us uh, when we, we just saw him recently. God, where did we see him? We saw him in Vegas. He came out and uh, he played us a couple songs from his new stuff. He's got like Rick Richards from the Georgia Satellites playing with them. He's got the same. I think it's the same band as the Juju Hounds he had going on. But his new stuff sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. He made like a, I think he made like an EP. You know, just did out of it on his own. A little video clip of him just. And the guy's just playing in a studio. It's great. Now, when you deal with Axel, I mean, see, like in my mind, because my buddy Jonathan was a bass player, that, you know, bass players are fairly diplomatic. And yeah. they're, you know, they're kind of, you know, they know how to handle the egos of uh, <laughs> front guys to, to some degree. <laughs> oh, the things I could say. <clears throat> well, I, the things I keep inside me. I, I'd encourage you to say some of those. Nah, no, nah, I just... Uh, you know what? Guitar players are a pain in the ass. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All of them are. Every fucking one of them. Have you been able to identify what causes it? Fucking six strings, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you got six strings, you got a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> Sorry. That's the rules of the road, buddy. So what, what about lead singers? <clears throat> you got a microphone, you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know. Yeah, but it's a good gig for you. But I mean, he's an odd bird. I mean, Axel is, anyways. You know what, though? The fucking most amazing thing about this guy, yeah. about playing with him, is that he gets up there and fucking does a fucking thousand percent of what he's got every time he shows up. And fucking people come out in the fucking thousands all over the fucking world to see that. And it's, you know, we. I think we all. I think we put on a good show for him, you know, and stuff. But when you really think about it, it's kind of all about Axel. And I'm just going to be, you know, be honest about that. And I, and it just still, it just amazes me just yeah. how rabid they are to see him up there doing his thing. And he, you know, he puts on a fucking great show. So it's, he's a know. great singer. Yeah. Great rock singer. I think he's probably better singer now than he probably was back in the day. Cause I think he's gotten, he's gotten more used to working with his, you know, voice and stuff like that. I think he's a lot more strong. He's a lot stronger. In a lot of ways, and, and in terms of like his erratic behavior, is it, it you know, is it just insecurity or perfectionism? Or, I, I don't think he's as erratic as people think. I yeah. think he's just real, and he you just you just don't know. It's like he 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 runs on his own feel, man. Yeah, <laughs> he does his thing the way he does it, and that's that's all he's doing. So with a gig like this, it's a private function. You know, it's like a, it, it, you don't know who the other players are going to be necessarily. You just know. No, no it's going to be the band. Just kind of stripped down, you know, the acoustic guitars and, you know, fucking kungas. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there might be a, you know, a didgeridoo in there or something. I don't know. Some we'll guy. see. <laughs> 
fucking egg shaker. Yeah, yeah. you just never know. So, yeah. uh, in terms of um, like living in Hudson, how long have you been out of here? Um, I've been out of here three years. I think I moved. I don't know. Yeah, it must have been three years ago that I moved back east. You know, I, I and I kind of I'd left a really great supporting cast of friends here that I that I miss dearly every you know every day. But it was it came a point when. All my friends were, you know, starting to have kids and get busy with their jobs and things like that. And I'd done everything I could do out here in my mind that pertained to, you know, my future musically and things like that. And I just thought, this place is getting so goddamn expensive. I'm bleeding money trying to just, you know, record and, and live. I'm like, I got to get out of here. And and it really kind of came down to that. It's like a, when you start looking at, okay, I can afford to buy a house now, and you're looking at a you know, 1,500-square-foot house in a crap neighborhood for $700,000, you kind of go, you know what? I got to get out of here. It's yeah. just a little bit much. And I just uh, – I, I, I knew that I needed to have a place to live. I needed a place to record and set up my stuff so that I could keep making music because really that's all I do. I don't yeah. really – you know, I, I, I do other things within and around music you know, that in, interest me and stuff, like cooking and stuff like that even, but I – it really comes down to I have to have a place to work. Otherwise, I can't do what I what is now my work. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, I've, um, I've been up there. I had a friend who uh, Louis C.K. used to have a place up there. I don't think he has it anymore. That guy is funny as shit. Yeah, yeah. He he had a, he got a place in Hudson. I think uh, I just saw deal. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. you just saw him? I just saw some special he was uh, on, and guy, yeah, just fucking. Yeah, yeah, My yeah. wife and I were watching it. We were just fucking rolling. Yeah, yeah. He's it's hilarious, yeah. but it's a beautiful area up there. Yeah. Oh, we got. You know what? We moved up there, and we got. You know, it's for all intents and purposes, it's a great sort of gay art music community. Really great people. Real diverse. Um, a lot of real talented people, and it's just this weird little one mile by one mile strip on the Hudson River. Yeah. But you know we've we've really grown to love it, and you know I got all my shit set up so I can do what I got to do. You know? and how many kids you got? I have an, I have a twenty three year old and I have a five year old. You got a five year old. Yeah, yeah. So I like to keep it interesting, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Come keep on. It, and the yeah. twenty three year olds out. Yeah. She's in the big city. She's doing living the in the thing. Big Apple. She's fucking work. She's working her ass off. Kids got the world by the balls already. And you get along? Yeah. No, she. We love each other. That's my, good. my kids. My yeah. my my. Big baby. And your mom, she's still around? Well, my mom? Your mom, yeah. My mom is still around, yeah. And does she come she, out? And yeah, her, her and her husband just came out, you know, in October. Wow. It's so weird, you know, when you talk to, to rock dudes, you're just like, what is their life? Yeah, Dude, I, I wake up <laughs> and I jump into both pant legs at the same time. Yeah, have some coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I put on my beer hat and I go at it. How long has <laughs> your brother been gone now? Uh, he died in 94, I believe, 94. In the, in the circumstances that surrounded that, you, he'd just gotten away from everybody? You know, or? no, what happened was my brother, I mean, he abused himself pretty good and during the end there, and what happened was he finally sobered up. He sobered up and called my mom. My mom was still working at the Uptown Bar then, and he called her up and said, I'm really doing it this time. I really want to sober up and straighten my shit out, and got himself a little apartment, and... You know, was trying to put himself together. He was sober for two weeks, and then his heart just said, "Done." Really? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's fucking horrible. I know. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he made the commitment. He was he fucking committed to fucking changing it because I, I would imagine now that we know he you know he died pretty much of a heart attack. Now that we know, he probably was feeling pretty terrible to just go, "Okay, I I got to stop now." Right. Because this, right. <laughs> I'm fucked up. This hurts. Painful. Yeah. 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 Done. And that Ouch. was it. Yeah. 
Yeah, sorry, man. Yeah, you know what? It happens. It's part of it's part of life and death. They're all intertwined, you know. Yeah, yeah. In the, in in like I see like I went to look at some videos and stuff. What is your? Uh, you seem to have taken to Haiti. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, of all the weird things, you know, I when I turned thirty, I, I started getting sort of a social conscience. I really started seeing things happening in the world that were starting to trouble me and it kind of like just snuck up on me because I'd been pretty much you know just way out of it not really caring about much of anything except what's in front of me you know and I started to kind of think about stuff and when Katrina happened I you know I felt really bad but I was traveling a lot and I didn't have time to like go get involved so I donated money to the Red Cross like everyone else thought was a good idea and then I saw what they did and didn't do which, which was totally heartbreaking to me and was really just bummed out by it. So when the Haiti earthquake happened and all those people lost their lives and that, I was watching this uh, kind of from, you know, from my TV, just going, Jesus, what the hell can I do? And so I had a friend of mine in Philly that uh, had a, uh, headed a organization called Kids of Cajon, which is a... Um, it's a it's a nonprofit that helps get school supplies to different tribes in like Senegal yeah. and different parts of Africa. It's actually expanded quite a bit since he's been doing this. He did it right out of high school. But I called him up and I said, Luke, so who, do you know anybody that I can call up, try and find out what I can do to help in Haiti? I don't want to just send money somewhere. I want to, you know, find out where it's going to go and try and make sure I can do something good with my time and what money I can raise. And <clears throat> He actually knew somebody, so yeah. I got a hold of this guy Matt, and uh, he turned me on to this this foundation, this foundation that uh, that works with a school called Tim Katek down there, and Father Simon who runs it. And I went down there with my manager Benny, saw saw the school, met the guy Father Simon, this eighty year old saint basically that uh, takes these kids off the street, you know, as as young as five years old, homeless kids that don't have family, anything, takes them gives them housing and shelter, educates them, turns them out with a trade of some sort, whether it's a mechanic of some sort, you know, electrician, yeah. a mason, whatever, stuff, tools that, you know, education that they can actually use in their community to help rebuild it, in effect, is the goal. Right. And uh, I just got, you know, I fell in love with it. I met the kids and, you know, it just took my heart. So I've, I've been, since then, I've been trying to do everything I can to raise money for them because everyone's forgotten about Haiti and their plight and now there's a bit of a civil war happening down there and they just they're just getting fucked yeah yeah <laughs> there's yeah. no but and there are people trying to help like Sean Penn's down there trying to do the best he can with whatever he's got and he's he's got probably more resources than anyone to do what you know he's doing the work he's doing down there but it's just not enough it's there's so much you know and, and but you know I, I haven't gone in with the idea that I'm going to help Haiti per se and try and help the whole country I've found a little pocket of kids that I can help by raising money and yeah so that's what I've been doing well that's great man yeah I'm and trying to raise money for them every year and uh, last year we brought and get some tools for them that I'm still trying to find out how to get down there because you you, you try and get them through customs and they're going to steal them so I've got I got a about $19,000 worth of tools sitting in Philadelphia with the Mennonites organization that's waiting for a window of opportunity to get that stuff in and hopefully it'll happen this this spring. See, who would have known that rock and roll would you know, lead you to this place where you're concerned whether the Mennonites can smuggle some tools into Haiti so the kids can learn a trade? I know, right? <laughs> Fuck. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, All no, the kooky crap. But you know it's it's you know what? They're you know, 
It's no, it's great. You know, it's, you're not yeah. concerned about a shipment of blow. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, exactly. And you feel that uh, like it, it's an interesting wall to hit, but like you, you must have just like well, you had the, like a, almost a spiritual moment where you're like, I've done nothing. You know, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, it, it actually came to that. I'm sit, I'm thinking to myself one day, like, God, you know, if I died right now, what do I leave fucking as a legacy? Oh, he just tried to fucking sell records, and yeah. Yeah, I mean this you know asinine you know sort of you know lifestyle you know that we live to try and fucking do this one thing which is to be fucking pop stars or whatever yeah, it's like yeah. well that's a great legacy to leave behind right yeah he lived yeah. to rock he, <laughs> you know what would the tombstones say like <laughs> derp yeah uh, you know? <laughs> but uh no i just i just started thinking about it you know i've got kids and and um at that point i had a kid uh and i just i just i went my heart got into wanting to help these people the best, with any way I could. I got down there, and then I, you know, was heartbroken and really wanted it to, to help. And I think I'll always, you know, have that mind because I've always loved kids. You know, I've always, yeah, yeah. I've always been a, that guy that you know yeah, gets yeah, along yeah. with kids and you know has them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have any, but I'm, yeah. I'm being, I'm, I'm being pushed to the uh, edge with it. My girl wants to have them. Yeah. I'm 49, so there's there's only one way to do that, Mark. <laughs> I'm doing that. Uh, I've, I've just been doing it very carefully up to, up to this point. Yeah. So what what do you think? You guys uh, are you and what's left of the replacements ever gonna go at it again just for fun? You what know, would it be? You and Tommy and uh, and Paul. You know, I think I think that. We're oh, I think Paul and I are always going to play together in some fashion at some point. And you know, we're not, we never, you know, like I said, we didn't break up. But yeah. you know, what's to say we wouldn't start a new band together either? Right. You never right. know. But um, we had a really good time doing the songs for Slim thing, and I think you know, I think we might go and try and record some more stuff live like that. I mean, the, the thing that we did was really fun. We met at a studio with a with a drummer guy that we know and this other guitar player that we've known forever. And we just started hacking out some songs, and we did, did it for an afternoon, and came up with you know five, four songs for the CP. One of them was Slim's. Had a great time doing it, great vibe, and uh, kind of came to the conclusion we should do this again with some original songs one of these days. I was like, yeah, let's do it. I'll call you in a couple months. We'll fucking make book some time and go do it. So, you know, without any, uh, you know, without any, you know, yeah, without any fanfare, we're going to record again at some point soon, and and. Uh, I don't know what we'll do with it. That's, do you ever we'll think see. about just like touring? Because, you know, if you think about like the, fa <laughs> the fans of the replacements, the diehards have got to be about my age. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so you think like, I mean, you could even do like a you know respectable theater gig. Just, you know, you and Paul. And I'll, I'll tell you, they keep every fucking year from Coachella down. They all, they always call us up. They always, they call up, you know, Paul's manager and they want a replacement, you know, gig. And they, they're offering us silly money to do it. Uh -huh. uh, it's like we couldn't just... You know, we talk about it every fucking year. We have the conversation, you know, and it's like we can't just do it that way. It would just be kind of, it would be beneath us to just go and it, do a money grab and just, you know. Like a nostalgia act. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, we were never about the money. Otherwise, right. we would have probably been able to, you know, handshake our way to the top, <laughs> you know, or blow our way to the top, as it were, yeah. as others were doing at that time, um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is there any of the guys like from that the, that era that scene, like even the Minneapolis scene that you are like you talk to or like? Yeah, yeah, I talked to a lot of those guys. I mean, I are you friends I, with Mold? I haven't seen Bob in a long time, but we're friendly. You know, if I saw him, we'd probably sit and chat for a bit. 
I, you know, all the old, you know, suburb guys, I see those guys around once in a while, you know, um, a lot of bands, you know, I, I see Keith Morris from Circle Jerks every time I, seems like I see him every time I come out here. And everyone, um, and people are holding up all right? Yeah, man, everyone that, that I still know. I mean, it's like, I saw Frank Black at, at the Dinosaur Junior Show in New York, I don't know, a he month, month and a half. Jay, Jay came by here. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so I had, I saw him at, at Jay's show and, and uh, we just got to talking and, and, uh, He's actually going to sing a track for this song for Slim Stuff, and he's going to do it actually at my studio, like on the twenty fourth or whatever. But he, um, we just got to talking about like, God, it's just still great that we still like still like to come see bands that we you know liked back then yeah, and like yeah. checked out and like you know yeah I still like writing songs yeah you too well that's killer you know it's it's kind of it's kind of goofy in a way but you know we're getting older we get kids and lives yeah. and houses and you know responsibilities to some degree but it's like there's a handful of guys that I still know that still can you know eke out a living um although charles ain't eking out no living he's got he's doing great but you know they still have the inspiration still they're not bitter about it right you know, there's a couple guys that i know that are still fucking bitter about it and it's, it's never like, gonna dude go you away. gotta just get the fuck over yourself it's yeah. like it's not worth it you're just you're just that guy sitting there complaining about what should be and it ain't so fucking you know locked in that mode yeah you know that's you know what are you gonna do now so they're bitch and moan about it no one gives yeah. a fuck yeah a matter of fact not only do they not give a fuck but they'll avoid you yeah exactly <laughs> well i'm glad you're doing all right man thanks yeah, for thanks. coming thanks, thanks for coming. a lot you bet rock and roll people rock and roll that dude is with the life i appreciate him coming by hey look folks uh, that's it. That's our show. I want to let you know that uh, today we're sponsored by Hulu Plus. With Hulu Plus, you get total control to watch thousands of shows wherever you want, whenever you want. Binge on full seasons of your favorite shows. Watch stuff you just missed or every episode of classic shows. It's endless, people. They've got Community, South Park, SNL, Classic Arrested Development. And you can watch my old stand-up special. Man, there's tons of stuff on here. Hulu Plus is only $7.99 per month when you go to HuluPlus.com slash WTF. And right now, get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus that is only available to podcast listeners. That's HuluPlus.com slash WTF for your extended free trial. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get on that mailing list. Buy some merch. Gonna have the coffee mug slash coffee deal soon with the hand-thrown mug by my... Uh, by my guy uh, up in Portland, Brian Jones. The amazing Brian Jones. He's amazing on a wheel. Throwing those pots, throwing those mugs. Uh, we're going to put a package together. That's exciting. But enough business. I hope you're well. I hope everything's okay with you. Okay? I do. Boomer lives. Boomer lives.